Muldoon Community Assembly. Greetings from North Thailand. It's Thanksgiving Day here in North Thailand, and you can see the vegetables and all the produce that the people have brought together to say thanks to God for His blessing on their gardens. The people that don't have resources of uh, finance bring their produce, and today there will be an auction, and the auction will then uh, provide money for the church. So it's a, a way for cashless people to turn their, their product, their produce, into a harvest financially for the ministry. They're celebrating Thanksgiving. It's Mission Sunday at Muldoon Assembly. Thank you for your giving. Brian and the various people are going to emphasize the importance of monthly giving. So remember how important it is each month to give to missions, I decided I'm going to bid on these two young turkeys. And we're going to leave them with our uh, Compassion of Christ Mission Foundation. But hopefully these two turkeys will be ours in just a few minutes. God bless you. Enjoy giving to missions. And as Pastor Ken said, he, he, today is Mission Sunday. And uh, so we're really excited. Um, uh, the, one of the things we do every, every month is we send checks out to missionaries all over the world uh, that are part of our, our missions team. And uh, so I think we send about $5,000 a month just in that. And then we have our other missions projects that we do. But your monthly giving is what helps fund all of those, those, those uh, pledges that we've made to, to various missionaries. And one of the ministries and missionaries that we support at a high, high level is uh, Steve Pavic in the ministry of Chi Alpha here in Anchorage. And so, Steve, come on up. Many of you know Steve Pavic, but if you don't, he's our, our uh, missionary uh, in residence. I don't know what the right term is, but he leads the ministry of Chi Alpha at the UAA campus. And so, Steve, tell us what God's been doing at UAA. Yeah, God has been moving on your college campus here in town. Uh, this year, we uh, in December, we celebrated with eight students that got baptized. Over 12 students have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this semester or this half a year alone. Uh, we just started our leadership training class on Friday night, and we have 30 students who are going to be going through an eight-week-long training class that is going to train them to become disciple makers who can lead small groups and find, fight for, and feed the lost lambs of God, as we say, on campus. And uh, 48 students are signed up for short-term missions trips to around the state of Alaska and around the world, uh, going to the Middle East, uh, to Myanmar, and a bunch of different places here in Alaska. And also, uh, I don't know if Tate's here this morning, uh, but Tate, who attends church here, uh, is doing our ministry training internship and we are excited. Tate's halfway through his ministry training internship. And this summer, Tate is hoping to leave and go be a missionary to Russia. Uh, Tate came to Chi Alpha as a freshman. Uh, God radically turned his life around. And he started leading a small group on campus, is doing the internship now, and is going to be a full-time missionary in Russia. And so it's been fun to journey with him from freshmen who didn't know Jesus all the way into being a missionary overseas. So pretty cool what's happening. Thank you, Steve, for the update. Appreciate it. And someday I'm going to get hair like you, the poofy thing going on. So. <laughs> But my hair is going the wrong direction right now. So anyway, 
so thank you, Steve, for the update. And uh, it's it's your mission, your monthly missions giving that helps fund Kai Alpha, Steve Pavic, and then many of the other missionaries who we support. And so thank you for your faithfulness in giving to our missionaries. Uh, we really appreciate it, and I know they do too. So let's go ahead and pray, and then the ushers will receive the offering. Lord, we pray for our missionaries today. We remember uh, that uh, not all of them are in easy places, Lord. Lord, I've been thinking about Pastor Philippe and our, our team there in Burkina Faso and the persecution that they're under and just the fear of constant violence. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll strengthen Pastor Philippe today. Lift his hands up in, in strength today, God. Lord, we pray for our other missionaries, for Pastor Max in Australia and for Sebastian in the Netherlands and all the other missionaries who we support, God. Lord, and we're thankful for what you're doing at Chi Alpha. What a great uh, report this morning. And Lord, we pray that you'll just continue to bless Steve and the team there at Chi Alpha, God. Lord, they have a retreat coming up this weekend. And so, Lord, we just pray that mighty things will happen in that retreat. Lord, we pray for people's lives to be changed as a result. Lord, we thank you that we get to participate in the, the missionaries in their lives, Lord. And so, Lord, help us this not just to be a financial transaction, but Lord, I pray that you'll put on our hearts uh, times where we need to write a card or, or send a note of encouragement to one of our missionaries. We want to be in the trenches with them, even even though we can't be there physically, we want to be there in support for all that they do. And so, God, I pray that you'll just move on our hearts today. Lord, thank you again for that we can participate in this way. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, is anyone curious what happened with the turkeys? Steve, you're the only one. Okay, Steve and Blaine are the only ones. But the rest of you can hear, and let's see what happened to those turkeys. <laughs> That's awesome. I uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious. I hopefully can't gave pastor can't gave those away because I don't think he's going to get those through customs. Uh, in fact, I think uh, he's going to have to sign something now that he handled livestock over there. So hopefully we get him back. Um, but uh, hey, thanks so much for being here this morning. We're so and uh, in church this morning. Uh, you guys obviously know already, my name is Steve, and uh, one other thing I wanted to thank the church for, um, your guys' missions giving helped fund or helped subsidize our retreat we're doing, our winter retreat we're doing next weekend out at Little Beaver. It's going to be a weekend focused on the Holy Spirit. We're praying that uh, students would come, maybe have their first encounter ever with the Holy Spirit, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So please be praying for next weekend. Because of your giving, we were able to reduce the cost of that weekend-long retreat to $67 for a student. And uh, what an awesome opportunity for people who may be around the fence, who finances are an issue, to be able to come. We've had small groups already pooling money together. They said, ah, 67 bucks. Well, we can send somebody else if we all throw in $10. And so uh, pretty awesome thing. So thank you guys so much. Know that your giving is changing lives. It's pretty awesome. 
Well, this morning, uh, a lot of times preachers brag about their their kids and uh, their families, and so we don't. Uh, Aaron and I don't have kids, but we do have a family uh, consisting of myself, Aaron, and Cade. We have a picture of us and Cade uh, there, and so we don't have any kids to brag about. So I'm going to brag about my dog. Is that okay? All right, perfect. All right, now I know that dogs are not kids. All right, I know that raising a dog is very different than raising a kid. I understand that. Some of you are like, you're a poser, Steve. Uh, but, uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna talk about my, my doggy parenting, uh, for a little bit this morning. I, uh, I realized that, you know, that having a dog could be, you know, good preliminary training for having children. And so, uh, we're trying to raise up a dog in the way that he should go, as it says in the Proverbs, uh, the pet translation edition or whatever it is. Raise up a dog in the way that he should go. So we are, I'm trying to raise Cade to be a man. And, uh, and one of the, one of the characteristics of a man, I believe, is that you have to have grit. Right, you have to be tough, and so uh, so we're training Cade in that. And we have a picture that that really really represents this. He's stoic, but but we know that that in order to be a well-rounded dog, that Cade should also have a soft side to him, a tender side, a compassionate side, a fun side. And so here's Cade's fun side. Uh, he likes to be goofy. Now, we also know that, obviously, again, I want to, the my values, I want to have become Cade's values. And so, I am a, uh, I'm a, a alumni of North Dakota State University, my, that's my alma mater, and the mascot is the bison. And they're, they're really good at football, and so I cheer for the bison, and I wanted Cade to cheer for the bison as well. And so here's us cheering for the bison together as they were pursuing another national championship. However, I know that it is good for a parent not to just control their kids. They need to make their own choices, right? They need to learn how to make their own choices. So a couple Super Bowls ago, I let Cade cheer for whatever team he chose that he wanted to cheer for. I wasn't going to influence him, and he was led astray just a little bit. And unfortunately, he was cheering for the New England Patriots. And uh, and so, so we, you know, we had a long talk. I tried to tell him, hey, Cade, you know, this is, this isn't in our family values. And so he understood. And, uh, and he's, he's back on the right track. He is now a Vikings fan officially. And he cheers. There's him with his Chris Carter jersey on, literally watching the game. All right. I don't understand he literally sat down, watched the game. He was really into it. That was about 30 seconds, and then someone brought food by, and then he got distracted after that. But we don't want Cade to just know sports. We want him, again, to be a well-rounded individual and know about the finer things of life. So I had Cade uh, sit for me for an art project the other day, actually back in October, as I was carving a pumpkin, and I carved his face into a pumpkin for uh, for Halloween. There he is. All right. Now, uh, someone said, someone said, oh, where'd you buy that pumpkin? No, I actually carved this pumpkin. Uh, and, uh, and that's Cade's face. And this is him, uh, saying, Steve, you've taken this too far. All right. Like, like, come on, man. What are you doing with your life? Um, but despite all of my best parenting st- strategies and all of my best doggy daddying, uh, tactics, sometimes Cade messes up. Sometimes he does things that are stupid. Sometimes he does things that he knows he should not do. And one of those things is digging holes in my backyard. 
Cade knows that he's not supposed to dig. We've been over it several times. He knows that that is a, an undesired trait, but sometimes he still does it. And when I find it, he knows that he's in trouble. I have a video of one of those occurrences when I came home from work one day. You can roll that video. Yeah, are you so excited I'm home? Yeah, wait a minute. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? Did you dig? Did you dig? Kid. Come here. And we're friends again. All right, there it is. So I think sometimes in our lives, our walks with Jesus are a lot like this. That we have a really good dad who wants to love us and train us up in the way that we should go. And then sometimes we do stupid stuff. We do stuff that we know that we shouldn't. Or we get ourselves into situations and we think, how did I get myself here? And when God points it out, when God points out that flaw or that imperfection, or he gives us correction, sometimes we respond to God the same way Cade responds to me when I point out a hole that he dug. Our tail gets between our legs, our head goes down, and we just sheepishly walk away. We don't want correction. We don't want to be in that. And so we just kind of turn away from God and we say, ah, I don't, I don't, I, this, this is hard to hear. But the reason that I think we treat the Lord this way sometimes, and I believe that the reason that happens is because we have a misunderstanding of what conviction is. Conviction is God's way of pointing out something in our lives that is not in direct alignment with his will. It is correction that leads to blessing. It is correction that leads to goodness. But we get things confused sometimes. And sometimes we confuse conviction with condemnation. And I think that's what causes us to run away from conviction is when the devil takes something that was meant as good. Conviction's a good thing. We're going to talk about that. Conviction's a good thing, but then the devil twists it and he convinces us that we stand condemned before God. You see, condemnation, essentially, the voice of condemnation says this. It says, shame on you, and it points out a flaw and then kind of like leaves you feeling naked and exposed. Condemnation says you stink, you'll always stink, and there's nothing you can do about it. It causes us to feel stuck, it causes us to hide, and eventually the shame with condemnation catches up to us and we end up repeating that action that got us there in the first place. But conviction's very different. The voice of conviction comes from God and it says, I have something better for you. I have a better plan for you. Conviction says you need help and help is available through me. Conviction says this. Conviction says I love you right where you're at, but I love you too much to see you stay there. That's the voice of conviction. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. And conviction leads to victory. It leads to a new identity. It leads to confidence before God. And it leads us to freedom from our shame. So my question for you this morning, what would happen if we stopped running from conviction and we start running towards conviction?
What would happen if we embraced the challenge of conviction? You see, conviction is kind of like leg day at the gym. It doesn't feel good. We don't look forward to it. But there is going to be fruit on the other side. And if we skip it for long enough, eventually we get ourselves in trouble. We end up walking around with a big old tank on our top side and skinny old legs on our bottom side. We have a not a, a, a unbalanced diet spiritually in our lives. And God says, listen, I have something better for you. And that is why I want to bring correction into your life. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes and essentially tries to spell this out. He, he uh, so beautifully in the book of Romans talks about this wrestling match between the spirit inside of us and the flesh. And you see the Holy Spirit that, that is constantly doing this in our lives, that nudge in our gut, that feeling in our hearts, that, that we don't, can't really understand where it comes from. That is the spirit of conviction, or this, the convictor, as the Bible describes him. That's the spirit of truth, as Scripture talks about him, that says, hey, I want to lead you in to this truth that I have for you. And in Romans 8, Paul talks about this wrestling match. He says this, So now there is no condemnation, For those who belong to Christ Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, that's good news. That's good news, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of those things, if you are a follower of Christ, that means that the condemnation, your sin is gone. The old is gone, the new has come. That's good news. And because you belong to him, verse 2, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's pretty awesome. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 5. It says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. In other words, here's the wrestling match. Here's yourself, and here's the Spirit living inside of you. And the Spirit's constantly tugging you towards the Spirit of truth, and our flesh is constantly tugging us this way, and there's where conviction is needed. And in verse 6, it says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to where? Death. But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. I love it when the Bible just makes things so plain and simple and clear. Our flesh leads to death. The Spirit leads to life and peace. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to choose life and peace, right? Because death is scary. Death sounds bad. It's a very obvious choice. So what is the solution? The solution is moving towards the Spirit. And that Spirit, in order to move towards the Spirit, we need to move towards conviction. It's not going to feel good, but it's okay. So how do we do that? How do we run towards conviction? Well, most of the time, I think it boils down to a trust issue with God. Do we trust God enough to say, I'm going to embrace the conviction that you're bringing me? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is how do we trust conviction enough to run towards it instead of running away from it? There's four things that we need to trust this morning. There might be more, but we're going to go over four. Four things that we need to trust this morning in order to run towards conviction. And the first one is this. We need to trust truth. We need to trust truth. 
We need to trust that this Spirit of God that is there, that's going to be giving us this truth, that the truth that we are given is today where we say truth we could come up with on our own. We live in a world today where we say truth, our world tells us that truth is relative, that we get to define our own truth, that whatever you think is true can be true. Last time I checked, the world operating that way is not working. What if we said, I'm going to start trusting what Scripture says and what the Lord says is true as true. And it might not always make sense, but I'm going to trust that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than than my ways. And that somehow if I embrace this, that there may just be freedom in what is said in Scripture. I think sometimes we, we get this mixed up a little bit. I'll never forget. I, I was in high school and I thought this girl was, was pretty cool. And, uh, and I didn't have a car at the time, which was really hurting my chances of having anything happen. And, uh, and, but I, I had an excuse to ask this girl for a ride home. And, uh, which again, it probably wasn't the smoothest thing to do is to ask a girl for a ride home, but I thought, whatever, it's going to give me an excuse to hang out with her. So, so I, uh, she said yes. So I was like, Hey, this is great. Now this girl was a very nice young lady. She was kind of timid, soft spoken, uh, pretty reserved. She was a church kid and you know, all these things. And I was just like, okay, yeah, like this is a nice girl. So I get in the car with her and oh my gosh. She had the heaviest lead foot I have ever seen on any woman ever, all right? I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. We get, we take off and I did not know that a little Honda Civic could go that fast. We're cruising down the road and I'm fearing for my life at this point. We are exceeding speed limits. I mean, rolling through stops. I mean, this is, it was not good. I was like, I did not know that this girl had this in her. All right, so here I am thinking that I was going to be really smooth and all this stuff. And I am fearing for my life, shaking, heart racing. And we're coming up on this curve. And this was a pretty steep curve. And uh, and we had to have been doing 75. And we go around this, we're going around this curve. And I look and there's a road sign that has a curve speed limit on it. And we buzz by that thing doing about 75. And the speed limit said 35. And I kind of looked and I was like, Zoom. I was like, okay. I was like, um, and I don't want to say anything, right? I don't want to be the uncool guy that was like, hey, you should slow down, you know? But, uh, I was like, hey, did, did you, uh, did you happen to see, uh, see that sign back there? <laughs> She's like, no. I was like, yeah, uh, <laughs> funny thing. It said that the speed limit around this corner is, is 35. And she didn't even look at me, didn't even really like, like, you know, like give me the time of day. She just stared stone cold, eyes on the road, hands gripped on the steering wheel. And she said, those are merely suggestions. (laughs) I was like, okay. But isn't it true that sometimes we treat the word of God that way? Oh, those are merely suggestions. If I get around to it, sure, maybe. 
some of these things are good. Some of them are kind of old-fashioned. And so we, uh, we got to contextualize truth. And maybe it doesn't actually mean that today in today's world. All these things that the devil convinces us of. That we say God gives us these road signs so that we don't crash. And some of us, man, sometimes we we have this, this habit of going around corners too fast, rolling our car off the road. We get right back in the car again. And we still have the same mentality. Ah, that's merely a suggestion. I can do it this time. I know I can make it. And we're banged up and dinged up. We have a load full of baggage from our past in our trunk. And we just keep going and doing the same thing. When is it that we are going to start to run towards conviction by trusting truth in our lives? And the reason we can trust truth is because of the second thing that we're going to talk about this morning is that we can trust goodness. We can trust God's goodness. We can trust truth because of God's goodness. Even when it's not easy to hear, we have to believe that God has our best interest in mind. Verse 28 of Romans 8 says it this way, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God works together all things for the good of those who love him. That's a beautiful promise. That even when it doesn't make sense, even when it feels like God is somehow a cosmic killjoy trying to just rob us of our fun, that there's obviously something good on the other side of conviction. Otherwise, he wouldn't have bothered to tell us to change. This is what I mean when I say that God says, I love you right where you're at, but I love you too much to see you stay there. I love you right where you're at, but I love you too much to see you stay there. There's something better for you on the other side. And I think sometimes when it comes to this area of our lives, we kind of compartmentalize our conviction zones, right? We've decided that, well, this area of my life is going very poorly. So God, I'm willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do to change this area of my life. But over here, we've defined something that maybe isn't of God as good for our lives. And so we've made this a zone that is off limits to the conviction of God. And God says, no, 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 I, even when it doesn't seem like maybe things could get better, even when it doesn't seem like there could be anything better than what you're currently doing, I want to bring correction, not to rob you of your fun and your joy, but because you had of that conviction about the unspeakable joy that is available to you on the other side of that conviction. We will never be disappointed when we say yes to conviction. It might be some of the hardest decisions we'll ever make in our life. We might need to wrestle through that yes for weeks, months, maybe even years. But the other side of conviction is always good. And if we don't trust that, then conviction will never make sense. The third thing that we need to trust in order to trust conviction is that we need to trust security. We need to trust our security. Verse 31 through 33, says it this way, what shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? 
Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us of whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Guys, this is awesome. I mean, the Bible says that we are in right standing before God, and we get this mixed up all the time. I think sometimes we run from conviction because we feel the devil convinces us that when that con- that voice of conviction comes, that it means that we have to start all the way back at the beginning of where we started. That somehow we are unworthy or unfit now to be around God and in his presence. And so we need to start all the way back at the beginning. I think sometimes we feel like every time we mess up, that God kicks us out of the house for a while. And he doesn't kick us out of the house. God does, however, say, come up to us put his arm around us and say, my son, my daughter in my house, that's not how we do things. I have a better way for you. Let me show you. See, that's very different than a dad who says, get the heck out of here. I'm done with you. Come back when you've shaped up. Our father says, no, 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 come here. I want to walk through this with you. You see, I think the reason we mess this up is because we confuse justification and sanctification. And this is something I'm passionate about because, because this changed my life. You see, those are two really big words, but what justification means is that we are within right standing before God. And that happens in the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You are, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are 100% justified by His blood. You are 100% in right standing before God. But does that mean that we are perfect? No! We mess up, we make mistakes, right? And so sanctification is the journey by which we go on to become more like Jesus through the help of the Holy Spirit. Justification happens in a moment. Sanctification starts from the time that you accept Jesus and it's going to end the day you die. It goes on for the rest of our lives. We cannot be any more justified or less justified, but we can continue to become more sanctified. And you see, if we think that every time we mess up, we have to start back at the beginning, that's a confusion of justification and sanctification. For some of you, this is good news this morning, and this is going to set you free, and this is going to set you on a journey of embracing that conviction and actually inviting it into your life. For me, that's what it was. I grew up thinking that every single time I messed up, God was just up there and, and there was like someone that, that Jesus was literally having to hold God the Father back from like throwing a lightning bolt at me, right? It's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's like, no, don't do it. That's who God was in my head. And because of that, every single time I messed up, man, it tore me apart. It got me all shameful, all these things. And eventually I got tired. And worn out of hearing that voice in my head. 
And so instead of responding to conviction, I taught myself how to numb myself to conviction. Because if I numbed myself to the voice of conviction, I didn't need to listen to that anymore. I didn't need to feel that 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 nastiness of feeling like I wasn't qualified or I wasn't I wasn't able to stand in God's presence. And it led me down a path of some pretty significant sin in my life until finally I started to understand. When I was a sophomore in high school, actually, I started to understand that that Jesus actually paid it all and I was within right standing before him. And that I could start myself on the journey with him to step into the fullness of my God-given destiny and identity in him. Which leads me to my last thing that we need to trust. And we need to trust our identity. Trust our identity. Romans chapter 8 is full of identity declarations. It's really beautiful. Romans 8.15 says that we did not receive a spirit that makes us slave again to fear. But we received the spirit of sonship. You see, it's more, God just doesn't say, okay, yeah, uh, you're just tolerated. He says, no, 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 you are a son, you are a daughter. Verse 37 talks about the fact that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. That's, and I'm convinced, and verse 38 and 39 puts it this way. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor about our worries tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able. Sorry, I got to read it off of here. It cut off of my notes. We'll never be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a beautiful thing, guys. Nothing can separate us from that. These are full, these, this passage of scripture is full of identity promises and declarations because I believe that what God wants us to see is a little glimpse of where he has us headed. And he wants us to understand that there is something more that he's calling us to. When I was in high school, I had a basketball coach named Coach Knust. And Coach Knust was a yeller. He was one of those really aggressive coaches, right? And, uh, and you feared Coach Knust. And Coach Knust was always on my case. He was always after me, bugging me about something, telling me how to do something right. And I remember thinking, it was like, dude, Jimmy can't even dribble the ball five steps without bouncing it off his foot. And you're not after him all the time. What is the deal? And I think he could tell that it was kind of getting to me one day at practice. And so he pulled me to the side and he said, Steve, I need to explain something to you. He said, I know I've been on your case a lot. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, man. Back off. And he said, I want you to know something. Is the reason I'm on your case a lot is because I see a basketball player in you that has not been realized yet. I see potential in you, and I want to pull that potential out of you. And I know it's not going to happen unless someone pushes you a little bit. 
And then he said, Steve, the day I stop getting on your case is the day I've given up on you. And let's hope that never happens. And you see, I believe that we serve a God that, yeah, he's not like Coach Canoose necessarily. He doesn't yell at us. He doesn't get angry with us. But we serve a God who looks at us and he says, oh, I see a man or a woman inside of you that has not been realized yet. I see an identity. I died for an identity that you are missing out on. That you don't see, that you don't understand. There are things that I have planned for you. Good works that I have prepared in advance for you to do. And unless I have you walk through this pain, unless I have you walk through this struggle, unless I have you walk through this correction that's not going to feel good, we are never going to get there together. And my friends, that is worth it. When I, when I, I'll never forget with Coach Canoose, it was after that, I actually embraced that. I came to enjoy the, the constructive criticism that he gave me. You see, conviction, next time conviction comes, let it be a reminder that we have a God that hasn't given up on you yet. You see, when we start to hear conviction that way, conviction goes from being something that's sour to our ears to something that's actually sweet music to our ears. It's God whispering in our ear, oh, my child, I have something more. And I believe in you. And if you just journey with me, man, we're going to go somewhere that you never thought possible. You're going to accomplish things that you never thought imaginable. That's the power of conviction. And that's what happens when we embrace it instead of run from it. If you would stand with me in this place as we close. I don't know where it's at in your life that you need to make a decision to run towards conviction. For some of you, it might be in something small. For some of you, it might be in something big. But whatever it is that's causing you to run from conviction this morning, it might be truth, it might be God's goodness, it might be that security thing, or just not understanding that you have an identity to step into. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you this morning to start to embrace that conviction. And just say a simple yes today. And here's what we're going to do here in a few moments. I'm going to pray for us, and after we pray, I'm going to invite you to Step out of your seats and find uh, one of the communion stations and grab the communion elements. You know, communion is a celebration of what Jesus did for us. It's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. That he died on a cross for us because he believed in us and he, want, and he loved us and he wanted to set us free from our sin. But also, it's not just that. It's a reminder that he's not finished with us yet, and he has somewhere to take us. And he has an identity for us to step into. So as you grab the communion elements and you hold on to those communion elements, I want us to reflect and ask God to say, Search me and know me, O God. Tell me if there's anything in me that is not pleasing to you. If there's been a conviction-free zone in my life, Open that up for conviction. 
If there's been something that I've been, I've been ignoring, a call that I've been ignoring for a long time, remind me of that and help me say yes right now. Because you paid it all for me so that I could step into the fullness, step into half of my identity in you, but so that I could step into the fullness of my identity in you. And then we're going to come back in a few moments and we're going to take that communion together. And as we take that communion together, I want the, the receiving of that communion to be a yes and an amen on the fact that we're going to say yes to that conviction and run towards it in our lives. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God that believes in us. We thank you so much that you are a God that gave us a guideline for truth. We don't need to figure it out ourselves. You gave us a guideline for that. God, I repent of the times that I've tried to define my own truth. God, I repent of the times that I've tried to, that I've not trusted your goodness. I'm sorry for the times that I have misunderstood my security in you and therefore I've ran from that voice of conviction. And Lord, I just pray that as we say yes, would you give us the courage to say yes? Would you give us the strength to say yes? Not just right now, but also when we walk out those doors. And as we as we say yes, Lord God, I pray that it would be stamped and resolved in our hearts that this is going to be something that I run towards conviction in, an area that I run towards conviction in in my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's take a moment to reflect, grab the communion elements. And if there's something specific you need prayer for, there's people going to be in the prayer room and we'll be available as well. We'll come back together and take communion in just a few moments. Light of the world, you step down in.